Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. So if, you, if you're new, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, I'd invite you to actually head back to our, a couple of our <clears throat> excuse me, online worship gatherings for the last three weeks to find out what on earth all of this is really about and what, what, what we do with it. This is our box of hopes and dreams and desires, and I, I don't want to sort of over-explain it. For those of you that have been here for the whole, uh, the whole time, I don't want to waste your time in that regard. I preach for long enough without adding to it. So, but this is our box of hopes, dreams, and desires. We all have one, and we all bring that box into relationships. And that box is formed from all sorts of different things, different experiences, our family of origin, adverts we've seen on TV, whatever it is. And we bring those hopes into a relationship, and our hope is that the other person would fulfill those things for us. It's a hu- basic human basic human nature. But the challenge is, as we have discussed, is that we give that box as a box of hopes and dreams and desires. And our culture tells us that that is absolutely normal. And the reason it says that is that we have a phenomenon that is profoundly unbiblical, but everywhere, and it's called the soulmate. That person out there that is just for you, God made them for you. They've got all the right things for you. And what we've learned is is that relationships are not about you, which means that there's no such thing as a soulmate. Instead, there's a person out there whom, as we've discovered, you give all of your hopes, dreams, and desires to, and they, instead of lovingly receiving it as the soulmate that they have been that you were promised they would be, and they just receive it as some expectations. So we've got airplane trips and babies and whatever it is that you're hoping that the relationship would look like. They receive it as expectations, and expectations, all they do is they simply create a debt, debt a relationship that damages intimacy. And that's what we've been talking about over these last three weeks is how do we overcome this? What do we do with it? And we've talked about quite simply, and Mel sort of summarized a bit of this, was we realize that the other person in a relationship, now this is marriage, but it's broader than that as well, the other person in the relationship owes us nothing. When that is our base expectation, then whatever they do beyond that becomes, can be a blessing in our life and can actually foster and strengthen and deepen the relationship. And we acknowledge also that whilst we expect the other person to owe us nothing, we still bring everything into the relationship, all that we are. And we realize that relationships are a submission competition. The way of Jesus in a relationship is the way to win is to actually be at the back of the line, is to put the other person first above yourself. And we talked about the the, the tug of war rope, remember? Where to win at this relational tug of war, 
you've got to drop the rope and realize that you both win when you stop playing the tug of war of getting what you want out of the relationship. And then last week I talked about that, excuse me, <coughs> that's going to be a thing all the whole time. Um, I talked about last week that sometimes in a relationship it's okay to throw things. It is. Sometimes in a relationship it's okay to throw things, but before you apply that, please go back and watch the message. Because you're not throwing stuff at each other, you're actually throwing stuff at God. That God is actually the only safe place to throw and to give out hopes, dreams, and desires, the box that we have, we've got one, we've got to do something with it, we're not meant to give it to the other person, so who do we give it to? We give it to God, because God is the only safe place to receive it. And there's sometimes, and the scripture we talked about, was it says, cast your cares upon, cast or throw your cares to God. He's the only one that can carry them for you. He's the only one that's big enough to deal with our anger and resentment and frustration when our hopes don't get realized. And what God gives us in return is a peace that says, your journey is just the journey I have called you to. And that will be enough. All this other stuff, that's not happiness. Instead, what God gives us is the true joy that surpasses circumstance. And that, my friends, is the greatest gift of all. So that brings us to today. The last of our series. And I think today really is a sort of brings it all together by acknowledging that there is sort of a, a secret source under all of this that knits it all together, that, that pulls it all together in a way. And for those of you that have been married for a long time, um, you might not even realize that you are doing this, but I can guarantee you if you are in a somewhat successful relationship, either marriage or a successful long-time friendship, you are doing this on a regular basis, whether you realize it or not. And I was thinking about, so for Eloise and I, my wife, we, um, we get married 15 years this year, which is super exciting for that. And um, so I can speak with A level, not complete level of, but A level of authority on the way that this has worked in our relationship. And I know for some of you that I've spoken to have been married, I know some of you have been married four times as long as I have which is great and super exciting and worth celebrating. And I know some of you that I've spoken to about this, just sort of scoping out the ideas, that this has been true of your relationships as well. And the thing that happy couples know is that they have a choice. That's it. It's as simple as that. Happy couples know that they have a choice, a choice. And that's what I want to talk about with the rest of our time today. But the thing about a choice is that on the surface, this choice feels like a reaction. It feels like something that we, we, we just re react to the situation that's going on around us. But when we look a little bit deeper under the surface, what we realize is this is an active choice that happens each and every time we encounter a situation. And so, before I explain it any further, I want to look at Scripture and figure out what this has got to say to us. 
And as we get to the end of the, the passage that I want to explore today, it's got this little idea that underpins everything that it's talking about, and I think underpins the rest of our time together. And most of this concept, this passage, makes sense. We've heard it a thousand times. You could basically flip a coin. When you go to a wedding, you could basically flip a coin. There's a 50-50 chance this passage is going to be read out at the wedding because it's a love passage. Love, Mel's been choosing... (coughs) Mel's been choosing... Mel chose some wonderful songs around the centrality of love. And love is where we are looking to today and exploring. And so most of this makes sense, but there's one statement that doesn't. When we get to it, I'll highlight it. But for now, I want us to think about think about just the basics of what is written here. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote this passage to the church in Corinth, is exploring what does it look like to live out love? What does it look like for us to do community together? If you're not familiar with Corinth, it was a, in the first century, it was a cosmopolitan city. It was also, if you, if you, it's kind of like an, an early first century Vegas sort of vibe, in that if you wanted to do it, you would find someone to help you do that in Corinth. It was a, a hub of the empire at that time. And so whatever desire you have, Whoever you wanted to worship, whatever you wanted to do to worship that God, you could find a place to do it in Corinth. And so this church, this early church is trying to figure out how do we do this thing together? What, is it, what are relationships meant to look like? How does it all fit together? And Paul writes this letter to them. And having explained a whole stack of different stuff about being the body of Christ, about being in community, he writes this, he says, and yet... I will show you the most excellent way, the most excellent, the highest calling that exists of being together, which I think is relevant to people in general, but definitely to marriage relationships. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but if I do not have love, I am but a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever encounter people where you're just tired of them talking? Some of you might feel like that about me on Sundays sometimes. But they're just like, you're just like, can you just be quiet? What is that? What is that annoying thing that, like, what is it about them that annoys us so much? I think it's actually to do with perhaps what they're talking about is not particularly loving. Perhaps what they're saying is not particularly life-giving. And they, they can do all that sort of stuff. They can speak wonderfully. In fact, one would argue that one of the greatest tests of a, a communicator is not their eloquence of words. It's like, to be honest, you guys as a church don't, like, you assess me in many ways around my preaching and you give me feedback positively and, and, and constructively around my preaching and things like that. But I've got to tell you, if I was a rubbish father and a rubbish husband, would what I say up here matter at all? You wouldn't give a rip what I have to say. Not because it's not from the Bible or not because I'm not intelligent, but instead because I don't have love in my life for the things that matter most. And the Apostle Paul says, okay, let's start from the basics. Those that are speaking anything, you can speak the most wonderfully 
communicated message, but if you don't have love in what you're saying, if it's not ingrained in your life, it's a waste of time. If you have the gift of prophecy, he continues, and you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you are super smart, if you get everything that there is to know about the Scriptures, and if you have faith that could move mountains, but you do not have love, you are nothing. And literally the term here is, you are a nobody. You have no significance in the world. You could grasp the greatest depths the world has ever known, in terms of knowledge and understanding, but without love, you are literally nothing. You have no value to the world. What a confronting statement. And I think we get this sometimes in the context of knowing stuff and living stuff. Who's been coming to church for a a year or two? Yep, most of us here, some of you much newer than that, and that's cool. We're, We're so glad that you're here. But I wonder how um, you could come to church every single Sunday, 52 Sundays a year, over 40 years. What's the maths on that one? That's like 800 plus sermons, right? Is that right? Yeah. You could listen intently, learn everything, and it would not make an ounce of difference to your life. Why? Because he says, it's not about knowing it, it's about the love that you have in your life that puts that knowledge into action with others. So you could have been coming here for for 40 years or 40 minutes, and it doesn't make an ounce of difference how much you know about God and how much you know about Christianity, it's what we do with it. It's the life that we live with it. It's the love that is lived through us that matters most. He says, you can have the knowledge, you can have it all. You can even trust that God will do stuff, but without love, you've got nothing. And if I give all that I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, again, I add nothing. I am nothing. Now, if there, was an ever, if there was ever a counter-statement to the prosperity gospel of you give and God will give back to you, it's that right there. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, if you give so that you can tell, tell other people that you've given and how good you are, it's not worth anything. If, if, if the way you give is, is purely about you, and getting stuff back or being known for being, being, a loving per- being a giving person, then there's no value there. There's nothing of value there. Instead, he says, the counter-argument's got to be true that we need to give from a place of love, from a place of being others-centric. And then he goes on to tell us then, he says, okay, so the picture is, If you don't live life without love as a center, you're wasting your time. You can do a bunch of cool stuff, but it's not going to amount to much, really. Then he goes on to give us some examples of what love looks like. What is love? 
It's a nebulous concept in many ways. Love, 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 love. I love my lawn, I love my car, I love my wife, I love my haircut, you know, whatever. Love. Well, Paul says, well, love's a, a people thing. Because love is, what does he say? Love is patient. Long-burning is the term. We've talked about this recently. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy doesn't look across at someone else and, and wish you had what they had. It doesn't boast. It doesn't puff itself up. It isn't proud. It doesn't take credit for everything that it is. It acknowledges where God fits into the whole picture of that He created us and He loves us. He sustains us. The breath we have is because of God. That is what love recognizes. It doesn't dishonor others. And it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. There's an interesting challenge in a relationship, isn't it? When was the last time, if we're honest, let's be real. We may as well be real, otherwise we're wasting our time. When was the last time you had a discussion with your partner or a friend or whoever is in your mind when you think about this series? When was the last time you had a a disagreement with them and brought up something from the past. Anyone ever done that? Yeah, I have. Absolutely. Even if it could have just been five minutes ago, five weeks ago, five years ago, and we just brought, so I just, I remember I observed something that you did and it wasn't as I expected and, and whatever. And Love, that's not love. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. And probably a quicker side would be, it's that type of love that God showed towards us. God is the greatest example of that style of love. Is that through Jesus, God chose not to keep a record of wrongs against us. That by our faith in Jesus, all that happened in our past are not held as wrongs, they are just held as a sign of His love. Examples of His grace. And then Paul continues and he says, Love does not delight in evil. It doesn't celebrate when someone else does something wrong. It doesn't celebrate when someone else fails. But it rejoices with the truth. And here's the line I was getting to. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So what does love do? It does a whole bunch of cool things, but it does something really specific. It always protects. It's fair enough. But here's the one that got me. Always trusts. Always trusts. Love always trusts. What does it, what does it require for us to trust someone? What does it require for us to be willing to trust someone? How do you know if someone is trustworthy, really? How do you know? You trust them. That's the only way to know if someone is trustworthy is to extend trust to them. And they either 
meet the expectations of that trust or they let you down. That's the only way to know if someone's trustworthy. But it was this idea of trust that captured my perspective, my my heart, my idea around all of this. And literally, it means to believe everything, this idea of trust. To believe everything, it defaults to trust. And what we realize is that this is actually the keystone choice, the keystone habit, the keystone reality for happy couples. Happy couples default to trust over suspicion. I was, um, there's a, a really interesting book written by a guy called Marcus Buckingham, and he's a, um, a secular author, a, a statistician, and, and um, done a bunch of research, and this was a leadership and management book that he was writing about. He surveyed a whole bunch of different people, um, trying to figure out some sort of keys to leadership success, keys to relational dynamics in the workplace, and, and things like that. And he cites a study that they undertook over a couple of decades, exploring relational dynamics. What does it mean for a a relationship to be happy? What does it mean for a relationship to be meaningful and trust and and, and life-giving? And what they discovered was, they discovered that the common denominator was an assumption that that your partner or the other person was doing the right that's it. That was the common denominator. Across all the studies that they did, the thing that it seemed to boil down to was the assumption that the other person is or will do the right thing, regardless of whether they do or whether they don't. They discovered that this was the central idea. What do we call the assumption that someone else is going to do the right thing? Trust. It's trust. They discover the central idea was trust. And what was so interesting about the results of the study was it didn't matter if the other person proved trustworthy or not. And the craziest phenomenon about this was that as couples experienced and, and lived out this idea of trust, as you, tr- as you trusted someone, they became more trustworthy worthy. It's the strangest thing that as you choose to trust someone else, they they inevitably, over time, become more trustworthy. And friends, I believe that happy couples know that that they choose to trust in the relationship. And to give this a bit of a practical breakdown, it would be every single, that you and I, regardless of what we would like to do with this box, inevitably we do have something in this that we give to the other person. Expectations of how they're going to behave, or it's even just that they're going to be home from work on time. You know, like they said they would. And it, But every time that we have an expectation that doesn't get met, it creates a gap doesn't it? A gap, there's a gap that gets created between their behavior 
and our expectations. You said you would, and you didn't, so therefore there's a gap from what I, what I thought you were going to do. And so the question is, what do we do with that gap? We can put two things in it. We can put suspicion. <clears throat> oh, well, he's late again because he's gone to the pub. He's late again because he's working too hard like he should have been before. She's, she's late again. I'll keep using time and lateness. Maybe that's something that tells you something about me. <clears throat> she said she would cook and she didn't. She said she would save some money, but instead she spent some. He said that he wouldn't buy that car, yet he did anyway. Whatever it is, whatever the behavior that creates a gap between expectations and reality, when we place suspicion in that gap, we instantly assume that they have done something on purpose for the wrong reasons. We instantly think that it was a malicious thing. We instantly choose to think that they've done something on purpose. But do you know what's really interesting about this? Is that whilst for many of us we want to, we default to, and if we're not careful, we choose to put suspicion in that gap, when we create a gap based on our behavior, so when we fail to live up to some, what someone else was expecting, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, don't we? We judge everyone else on their behavior and we judge ourselves on our intentions. Tell me that's not true. Because we know when we're running late home from work or running late to the, the, the lunch, or we know that there's a good reason for doing so. And we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt for that good reason. But when someone else is running late, when someone else fails to meet our expectations, what do we put there? Do we, th oh, it's just, oh, they're running late again. Oh, he's going, oh, grumble, grumble, this, that, whatever. That's what this looks like. Is that when there's a gap between reality and our expectations, we have a choice as to what we put in that gap. We can put suspicion which suggests the person meant it, or that somehow it's a character flaw in them. Or we can put trust. And the trust says, there must be a good reason. There must be something. There must be a reason. There must be something going on. There's got to be something happening. And to be honest, this is more real than we can realize when we think about, sort of, when we think about not just the things we do, but the way we relate to one another. And you might find this one most readily in <clears throat> a checkout line. When, when you are, when you get to the front of the checkout line and the checkout lady or, or man is dismissive of you, doesn't really want to talk, is not really that interested, you might have an expectation of the way that you are meant to be served, right? You might have had an expectation as to the way that person might have interacted with you and they don't. What do you do? We've got a choice to make. We either choose to put, we either choose to put suspicion in the gap and go, oh, they're just not a very nice person. They're just not a very nice, you know, whatever. They're just, 
selfish, they don't, don't care about other people, they're only in it for the money, they don't really... Or, we can choose to go, oh, I hope they're okay. I wonder if everything's okay at home. I wonder if there's something going on for them personally that means that they're just not feeling like talking today. Maybe there's a, a sickness, maybe they've, they've got a journey that we know nothing about. And we always have a choice as to whether we give them judgment <clears throat> or whether we give them the benefit of the doubt. And friends, I believe that happy couples know and happy couples realize what, whether they know it consciously or not, happy couples choose to place trust in the gap rather than suspicion. And they do it <clears throat> over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and lest I say it again, and over again. Why? Because that's what love requires of us. And every time we don't, every time we put suspicion in that gap instead, every time we assume the worst of the other person, even just for a moment, it erodes the relationship just a little bit. It erodes the intimacy. It erodes your ability to relate well to one another. And we've all seen what happens over time. A bridge can only take so much erosion from underneath its, its footings before it all comes crashing down. The Apostle Paul paints this picture for us that the bedrock of happy, loving, life-giving relationships is that when we are given a choice, when we are given a choice, when someone's expectations don't meet our hopes, or when someone's behavior doesn't meet our expectations, I should say, we're given a choice. When we choose to trust, when we choose to hope, it builds it builds and strengthens the relationship in unseen ways. And the study, of just to sort of land that idea, is that their overall observation was <clears throat> what they called an upward spiral of love. Is that when you, over time, choose to place trust to give the other person the benefit of the doubt, <clears throat> it creates a positive illusion of reality that eventually becomes true. And they, they put it this way, it's an illusion that creates a conviction. It's a conviction that leads to a sense of security. It's security that, that is fostered into intimacy, and it's intimacy that grounds love. That's the progression. This is a secular book communicating a profoundly biblical principle. The recommendation, happy couples find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and choose to believe it, whether or not it's true or not, because over time, it will become true.
it will become true. And now, that's lofty and that's idealistic. I get it. And there's two challenges that I need to mention that make this really hard to live out. The first one is our experiences. How many times have they been late in the past? How many times have they overspent on the budget in the past? How many times? Our experience of someone else's behavior makes this really hard. She forgot again. He's late again. He didn't call like he promised he would. Whatever that looks like. Our, Our behavior, our experiences of someone else's behavior make this a hard choice to make. And the second obstacle is that who we are, our history, our baggage, our fears, our insecurities, our worries about what will happen if we trust that other person and they let us down again. All of those things form barriers to making that choice. But we still have a choice. I want the donut. Everything in me wants to eat the donut. Every single day. Yet at some point, we make a choice for a different journey than obesity, don't we? At some point, one of us, at some point in, our, in, in my life, I need to make a choice. And that choice will be hard. That choice will be constant. Particularly if we're surrounded by temptation, surrounded by a bunch of people that tell us it's okay. At some point, we choose to take a higher road. Believing that those choices will lead to a better reality. And it's true for your nutrition as much as it is true for your relationships. That whilst everyone around you should, it might be saying you should feel a certain way or should respond a certain way or there should be certain things, happy couples choose to take the higher road, not because it makes any sense. Not because necessarily the other person deserves it, but that over time, it creates a pattern, it creates a trajectory, and it's a strange phenomenon. No one quite knows how it happens or what happens, but when you start to trust someone, they actually meet you there. They actually grow in trustworthiness. And that the exact opposite is true. When you've never give someone the benefit of the doubt, they will always let you down. A phenomenon of relationships. But I believe it's central to all that we're called to do. So my question for you is this. Do you believe the best or assume the worst? Because that's the choice. That's the, that's the paradigm before us. And it's a choice we'll make a thousand times a day in our relationships. What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? Happy couples know it's a choice. It's not a reaction. 
It's not an inevitability. It's not something that anyone else decides for you but you. And happy couples know it's a choice every single time. And if I'm honest, <clears throat> there's another option. You don't have to, cho- you don't have to, to choose the, and to believe the best, do you? But let me just paint a real quick picture of the alternative. Option A is to choose the best. Option B is the, alter- is the opposite of everything that Paul talks about. So he talks about love to does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let me paint you the alternative picture. When you believe the worst in another instead of choosing the best, you delight in uncovering their mistakes. You thrive on speculation and gossip. You assume the worst and you embrace doubt. Does anyone want to live a relationship like that? No, that's not what we want. That's not what God calls us to. And I don't think any of those things will move our relationship forward in any sort of way. It doesn't work. So my challenge to you as we finish this whole series, everything we've talked about, my challenge to you is simply this. When it comes to your relationship, whatever framework you've got for that in mind, Believe the best for one week. That's your challenge this week. Believe the best about just one relationship. You could have a crack and go every relationship and up. Do it. See what happens. That's my challenge to you is to believe the best about the other for just one week and see what happens. See what happens. Because I believe what you will find is that the other person will take notice and may even start to edge a bit closer to being the trustworthy person you're hoping they will be. And by the way, when we choose to trust someone else instead of suspect, it actually lifts the bar of our desire to be trustworthy for others. When we choose the best for another, it helps us live the best for others. That's what happy couples know. We know that we choose to trust. So let's pray together. Loving God, I thank you for your word, I thank you for the way that it speaks hope and life. And, and it, um, <clears throat> if I'm honest, this is hard because everything in us doesn't want to do this. Everything in us <clears throat> has expectations of the way other people behave. And we've got good data to suggest that they're doing these things. They've let us down for certain reasons and time has shown that to be true. But Lord, would you help us by your spirit? to choose to trust again. And Lord, we know we know somewhere within us that there may be a different story. 
based on the past, based on our experiences, even based on our fears and insecurities, we know there might be a different story that is true. But Lord, would you help us to choose to give others the benefit, believing that you are at work, believing that you are present in the relationship and that you will do what only you can do in using that trust to build a depth of relationship that we hadn't even realized was possible and that perhaps we hadn't realized that our suspicion has been eroding for so long. And Lord, would we extend this trust, not expecting anything in return, but just trusting the other person because we trust you. Lord, help us to live out this love that we might discover the life of hope, relationships of intimacy and richness grounded in you. And would you remind us that above all things, your love never fails. May we be reminded of your love in our life and find hope there above all things. In your name we pray. Amen.